Welcome to Montgomery Community Church Podcast. Thank you so much for listening today. We hope this message encourages you and inspires you to grow deeper in your faith. If you'd like to learn more about MCC, you can visit our website at mcc.church. Oh, hello, MCC. It's so good to see you on this Sunday morning. Uh, I do want to just piggyback on what Dane was just saying. Uh, a team did just get back from our site in Monterey, and I'm just, I'm just grateful. I want you to hear, most of all, my heart is grateful for the, the long history this church has had with back-to-back ministries in ways in which you have invested in orphans and vulnerable children around the world. So I, don't, I just wanted to make sure you all heard me say that before we even got started today. It's a joy to be here with you all. I missed you since last summer. If you're new to MCC, I was able to be here some weeks in a row last summer, and I continue to grow in affection for this body. And while I was here last year, I was writing a book about spiritual warfare, and I can remember this one moment when I had figured out that about a quarter of everything that Jesus said was about a world we don't see with our eyes. And I was sharing with you about this idea that in the midst of circumstances that we don't like and we can't control... We have an enemy who wants to hurt us in the middle of it. And we have been given tools that are ancient tools. The beginning of 2020, I took a long-term assignment as an interim pastor for a church here in the city. It's something I had never done before. It gave me great affection for your senior pastors. Be kind. At the end of my eight months there, I told them, listen, I've been a missionary for a decade and a half in a country where I had to learn a language and I was surrounded by cartels. And let me tell you, that was a piece of cake as compared to being a pastor. So uh, I'm just telling you, you be nice to Phil um, and every chance you get, it, you get to. But at the beginning of that assignment, it was just the start of COVID. We were kind of all doing hard things and I made an agenda and I walked into a staff meeting with my agenda because that's what leaders do. And I was about 15 minutes into that agenda and it was like not going down the way that I imagined it going down. And I finally pushed my paper aside and I said to the team, hey, listen to me. (laughs) I'm not the only person in the room with an agenda. We have an enemy and he's against God's kids doing God's work in God's house. And just... Imagine with me, let's use our Disney imaginations, if we could see what was on the piece of paper of our enemy as he came into this room and he wanted to disrupt what we were doing, what kinds of things will we see on his agenda? And one brave lady went first and she said, "Hmm, I think he'd want us not to trust you. And so I rolled over this whiteboard behind me and I wrote number one, distrust. Absolutely, the enemy loves it when God's kids don't trust each other. And then some guy goes, I think he'd want us to be so afraid we don't know what to do next. I'm like, he loves fear, number two, fear. And eventually the room populated the kinds of things, tactics and tricks that we have seen the enemy try to use to disrupt our houses, our relationships, our our ministry lives, our churches, our families, our marriages, our children. We, We populated the board. And at the end of that, I said, he literally has no new tricks. Everything he knows how to do, we have already seen before. And I would rather work with you against this enemy than inadvertently against you and now for him and his agenda. And then I told them, I've been reading my Bible a long time and I know in Ephesians chapter six, it tells me to put on the full armor of God to protect me in this spiritual warfare battle that we have been called into. And I know in 1 Peter 5, it says this enemy is like a lion and he's roaring around and he he wants to destroy us. 
But here's the problem when I sew those two teachings together. It makes me feel like I'm supposed to put on my armor and wait for the lion to come get me. And that makes me feel like I'm on defense. And if I already know everything he's already gonna do, why does he get to come get me first? I'd like to go get him first. I'd like to go throw the first punch on him. I'd like to be in a spiritually aggressive posture, a responsive posture. Because the kinds of stories that we woke up to this morning happening in OTR, the kinds of stories that you read on your newsreel today that are going around the nation, the kinds of things that are happening today in 2022 around the world, the kind of things that are happening in your workplace or among your family, these are ancient stories. And God has told us exactly what to do when we get in the middle of them. If you remember from last summer, I love the book of Exodus, and in the middle of those plagues, the beginning of the book of Exodus, that one of the plagues, well, actually, in Exodus chapter eight, so this is the story of God's kids being in slavery, God asking one of his kids, Moses, to get them out of slavery and to confront the power of the day, a man named Pharaoh. And Pharaoh was tired of all the plagues that God was using to demonstrate his power, so he says to his magicians in Exodus eight, hey, like, could y'all come up with a plague as cool as the plague of the God of Moses? Because I'd like our people to understand that, our, that we are, that our gods are as powerful as the God that Moses is putting on display. And those magicians come back to Pharaoh and say, all of our power combined doesn't compare to the power that's found in the finger of their God. And God, through the gift of the Holy Spirit, has put that kind of power in us. So there isn't any kind of storyline we should be afraid to go into. There isn't any kind of situation we, don't, we should be afraid of taking the, the first punch of, of initiating spiritual activity instead of responding to attack. There's another passage two chapters later in Exodus chapter 10. It's, it falls inside of something called the plague of darkness where it says that darkness fell so thick upon the land that they could feel it. Have, have you ever been in a storyline where you feel like Darkness was so thick, you could almost feel it. And it goes on to say that everywhere that God's kids went, light was among them. He was with them. That's the kind of power we're gonna talk about today, the kind of story we get to enter into, understanding that inside of those stories, we get to bring God's light. Sometimes we call it, biblically, God's peace. Peace is the Hebrew word shalom. We're gonna talk about shalom today. Shalom has a long definition, but the part of the definition I like the best is that shalom literally means filling in of the cracks. I don't know if any of you walked in here today with some cracks. Like like Michael was saying, the summer is maybe not unfolding the way you planned it on it. You have a story that you were thinking, that's not how this was supposed to go. This is not what I thought was gonna happen. This is, I don't like this. And you have cracks. God's gift to us as one of his kids is that we get to have the peace, the shalom that passes any understanding. It has literally nothing to do with our circumstances. But we can be in hard stories. We can be in chaotic stories. We can be in dark places and understand that the power that's inside of us is stronger than anything darkness has to throw at us combined. First John says the reason the son of man came was to destroy the devil's work. He gives us all kinds of biblical evidence that we're to enter in, we're to go out into. We're not to shield ourselves, insulate ourselves, isolate ourselves, inoculate ourselves from hard stories in dark places. We're actually supposed to engage. But it can be really hard. 
I don't know if, you, if this will even make sense to you, but one time we, Tana were having, my husband and I were having this week, it was like the enemy was coming in by land, air, and sea. Like he was attacking our marriage and our money and our kids and our house and our bodies and our marriage. I mean, like every area he could, it felt like we were under attack. And the end of that week, Todd was gonna travel to one of the back-to-back ministry sites that's in India. And the night before he left, we were sitting on my front porch. And just because this feels like, a, like our living room here in the house, I'm gonna just be honest with you. I was pouting. I was on that French porch telling him, I don't want you to go. I don't want you to go. It's way more fun to fight beside you than it is for you to leave me here. And we were actually having the conversation that in light of some of the things that had happened that week, was, it, was the timing right? Was it good for him to actually go ahead with a plan and travel to India? And, and in the midst of that conversation, God gave us that birthright we have as his kids when, when we're in the middle of what he's asking us to do, that peace that passes understanding, that's his fingerprint, so we got it. And, we, and I was like, fine, go, go, you go help orphans, I'll be fine here. The Bible tells me that he that's in me is greater than he that's in the world. I'm okay, I'm okay, go. So it took him 24 hours to get to India and I had no contact with him in that time frame. Meanwhile, I was looking for a verse. You know how like when you know a verse, but you're like, where is that exactly? You've heard somebody talk about it or something. And I was looking for a verse that says that the enemy doesn't have any authority on me, that he doesn't have any kind of power over me. And I found it, it's in Luke chapter 10. It's verse 19. These are red letters in our Bibles. So this is something Jesus said to us directly. He says in Luke 10, 19, I have given you the authority to trample on snakes and scorpions and to overcome all the power of the enemy. Nothing will harm you. And I loved it. I loved that I found it. I loved what that said. I put it on Instagram. I told my children. I memorized it that day. I wrote it, I mean, wrote it on a note card. Like I was telling everybody about that verse that day. It was comforting to me to realize that enemy that I feel coming in by land, air, and sea has no authority over me. Nothing can harm me. The following morning I woke up and Todd had sent me a message in the, in the middle of the night. And I'm gonna share exactly what he sent to me with you, but I, I don't want in any way to scare you away from a calling God might have you in India. So just, just stand strong if that's a calling for you. But um, they, they found a king cobra on our campus there and they needed to catch that king cobra so it wouldn't hurt any of the kids that we were gonna um, be serving. And so, well, yeah, it's not up there yet. So he said to me, Beth, I was thinking about, as I was watching this, this snake catcher we hired come catch the king cobra, I was thinking about the conversation we had on the porch about the snake that's loose in our garden and the power and the tools that God has given us in order to defeat that kind of snake that, that we talked about the use of the, of the word Jesus and how there's power in the name of Jesus. And we were saying like, it's not really that big of a word. It's just like five little letters. But in the, in the face of the name of Jesus, that enemy has to retreat. He, he, he doesn't have... He doesn't have space there with us. He said, and then he told me something, this is like a little National Geographic here this morning. The way they catch king cobras, apparently king cobras are afraid of snake cartilage. So they show a piece of snake cartilage to a king cobra and then it submits to what you want, submits into whatever, whatever thing you're catching it in. So I do think there's a business opportunity if you do any ministry in India to sell snake cartilage. Like, why do we all not have some of that? I don't know. But anyway, I wanna show you the video of what happens when the snake is confronted with something and how it has to submit. Watch this with me. Come on, 
Right? Now, Todd had no idea I was reading Luke 10, 19. And frankly, I'd been skipping over the first part of the verse about how we've been given authority to trample on snakes and scorpions. I was just excited about the back part of that verse that talked about how the enemy has no authority over me. He cannot harm me. But God knew exactly what I had been meditating on the day before. And he wanted to make sure that I got that tailor-made, individualized, spirit-directed message to my heart. Hey, you don't have anything to be afraid of. I don't care how the snake tries to come in your garden. It has to submit to me. I have the authority to trample on snakes and scorpions because he has given that kind of authority into me. And it matters what words I use in the middle of the storylines. I know you just finished up a series on words and the power of words with Phil. And he talked to you about how Eve had words blaming uh, the snake and Adam had words blaming Eve and the snake had words blaming people and, and this is a really old story. And so I brought some props with me. You're gonna have to bear with my props here, but I wanted to talk about how the kinds of things that we woke up to this morning that had happened in OTR, these are ancient stories and we don't have to wonder, I wonder what we should do about this. We don't have to wring our hands when we hear another news cycle that discourages us about the direction our culture is going, or a phone call you get about the direction your child or grandchild is going, or the direction the elections are going, or the direction world politics are going, or the direction, we don't have to wonder, what's our role in this? Should I just give up, give in, throw up my hands? No, he's taught us exactly what to do. So follow with me this, this pattern. I brought five props to represent a repeating five-step process that happens from the garden until today. And, the, and the, the first prop I brought was a bottle of water. You might have seen me just drink it a minute ago. Forget that image. Because water represents chaos. It has biblically represented chaos. I mean, we're going to talk about Noah, and we're going to talk about the Red Sea, and the Egyptians getting swallowed up. And there's all kinds of reasons why in the Bible, chaos is represented by water. So we're gonna talk about how chaos is the start of the hard stories of our lives and it's gonna be represented here by my water bottle. The second uh, step in the story is in the middle of chaos, regardless of how it starts, when it starts, where it starts, who starts it, regardless. God's presence, his spirit is there. And so I brought a fan to represent God's spirit because the word in Hebrew for spirit is ruah and the word in Hebrew for wind is ruah. So this is my wind making spirit representing God's presence in the middle of chaos without fail every single time God's presence enters. He's a chaos enterer. This is what he does. And when we sense God's spirit, the next thing that's going to happen every time without fail is God will speak. We're gonna hear him speak in all kinds of ways. Biblically, we hear him speak through prophets. We heard him speak through Jesus. We've, we, we hear we, he spoke directly a few times. Today, he speaks to our, the spirit that's in us, the Holy Spirit. He speaks to us through his word. He speaks to us. We can be confident in the middle of chaos, his spirit comes, and then God will speak. And at every single time, without exception, when God speaks, shalom breaks out. This is my olive branch. This is my representation of, of peace or shalom. When God speaks, shalom breaks out every time without fail. And every time without fail that God's spirit brings shalom, without exception, we can anticipate temptation coming every time. 
And if we bite temptation, then what happens? The story starts again. We're back in chaos. If we resist temptation by holding on to his word and resting in his presence, we will experience his peace. So sometimes people say to me, I don't know how things got this bad. Well, I know exactly how they got that bad. People kept eating the apple. Or I don't know exactly what to do now that things are so bad. Well, I know exactly what to do. Listen for, I mean, listen for his spirit, listen for him to speak, and hold on to his shalom. Go with me to the story of, of Genesis. We're gonna start in the garden just to see how this pattern unfolds biblically. The first, and in, this, in the Bible it says that there was, the earth was formless and empty and darkness was over the surface of the deep and the spirit of God was hovering over the waters where the chaos was. And then what happens if the, the, if the spirit was present, the next thing that's gonna happen is God gonna speak. And he, we know what he said, like, let there be light, and let there be day, and let there be animals, and let there be man, and let there be women. And as soon as he spoke, we know that the Bible says, God saw all that he had made and it was very good. Shalom broke out. And this lasted like a hot second until Adam and Eve chose to bite into this apple. Sin entered the world and the chaos began. And if you go six chapters later, there's a story about a man named Noah. The, the chaos was so crazy on the earth, so much sin, God decided to literally flood it and start all over again. And for 40 days, Noah and his family was on that ark. And then 40 days later, God sent his spirit. We know that story. He sent, he, the, the wind came and blew the water dry. That's his ruah. And then his spirit in the form of a dove came down and rested to let them know that it was okay. That was God's spirit. And so the next thing that's gonna happen is God's gonna speak. And we know he said in chapter 18, come out of the ark, all of you people, your wives and your children, and all of the animals be fruitful and multiply. And as they came out of the ark with all those animals, what, what happened is shalom broke out. And it was awesome until a hot second later, in the midst of that shalom, it was so shalomy, there was a rainbow. I mean, I can't even think of anything more shalomy than a rainbow. It was awesome. And then what happened? Noah got drunk in a tent, and he cursed his son. He bit the apple, and we're right back where we started again, and now we're in chaos. If you go now to the second book of the Bible, the book of Exodus, we could literally do this all day, we won't, but let's go to the book of Exodus. It was so chaotic. God's kids were slaves and they had been for a long time. And Pharaoh, the man was in control. He decided all the Hebrew baby boys had to be thrown into the river and, and destroyed. So you have water and chaos and it was terrible. And, and we know if there's that kind of chaos, be looking for his spirit. And God came in all kinds of ways in that spirit, right? All through those plagues, all through the let my people go story. God was entering and entering and entering and entering into that chaos. And then finally he spoke and he told Moses, go down to the edge of the Red Sea, raise your right hand, and that abyss, that chaos split itself in half. And the spirit of the Lord blew those waters up and, and apart from each other. It says in Exodus 14, Moses stretched out his hand over the sea and that night the Lord drove the sea, the abyss back with a strong uh, east wind and it turned it into dry land. And then he starts talking to Moses, right? I mean, he, he already had been talking to Moses, but he continues to talk to Moses and he takes Moses on top of a mountain in Exodus 21 and, he, and Moses is gonna come down. He, Moses is up there worshiping with God. I can't believe your spirit came through. Tell me what you have to hear. And he gives him the 10 commandments and it's awesome. And Shalom breaks out for like a hot second. 
And while Moses was at the top of the mountain experiencing God's presence, his shalom, his, his crack-filling peace that passes all understanding, they're at the bottom of the mountain, melting down their gold and making a golden calf. And they bit the apple. So God's kids entered again into chaos. And again, we could do this all day. Moses was the mentor of a man named Joshua. Go with me to the story of Joshua, right? You have a swollen, flooded Jordan River. It's chaos. God's kids are in chaos. They could almost smell the promised land. And God's like, okay, let's enter into the waters. Take, my, take the ark of my covenant, take my spirit and go into the waters. And as soon as you go into that chaos, I'll hold those waters up for you. That's exactly what happened. As they step foot into the Jordan River, the waters come up and God's presence and he's speaking to them and he's telling them to go across the land and you're my kids and I can't believe it and we're finally here and this is gonna be amazing. And Shalom broke out and they worshiped their way across that Jordan River and then guess what happened? A hot second later, they conquered Jericho. They took all the stuff that God told them was for him and they kept it for themselves. And it's like, are you kidding me? If you bite the apple without exception, you can count on what's gonna happen next, chaos will ensue. If you don't want chaos, resist temptation. How do you res resist temptation? You hold on to his word, you experience his presence, you delight in his peace. If you decide not to do those things and you bite that apple, you'll start all over again and you'll find yourself in chaos. I want you to go with me now to, well, we're not gonna do a whole Old Testament survey all day today, but we're gonna jump into the New Testament and I want you to go with me to the scene of Jesus' baptism. He who was without any sin, he had no chaos. He got into that water. And we think of Jesus being baptized as something like he's an example setter for us because we're supposed to get baptized and we are supposed to get baptized because we're supposed to demonstrate to our community an outward expression of an inward decision. But I'm telling you, you know why Jesus went into the water? Because he's given a great big message. It's a training moment for everybody watching. I am a chaos enterer. I'm not afraid of the waters. I'll go into the chaos. He went into the chaos, so what's gonna happen next? We should be on the lookout for God's spirit, and that's exactly what we see. In Matthew chapter three, verse 16, as soon as Jesus was baptized, he went up out of the water. Suddenly the heavens opened, and the spirit of God descended like a dove and rested on him. And if the spirit of God came, we know what to look for next. He's gonna speak. And we know exactly what he said. A voice from heaven said, this is my son in whom I love and in whom I am well pleased. If God spoke, then the next thing that's gonna happen is shalom. That's exactly what happened in Jesus' ministry. Blind people saw, deaf people heard, deaf people rose from the dead. People embattled in sin experienced freedom. Shalom broke out. So if shalom broke out, guess what's gonna happen next? There's gonna be temptation. This time when Jesus entered into the wilderness was tempted by our devil, this enemy, who wants to disrupt God's kids doing God's work in God's house, the binding of the evil one began because he didn't bite the apple. Because the power that's in him, the power that he then now gives to us is greater than anything that enemy could ever try to throw at him. How did Jesus resist biting temptation? He held on to the things that God told him. He literally used the word against the enemy and the snake had to go back in the bag. He didn't have that kind of authority in him. 
And that's the example we have today. If we want to stand strong, we got to stay in the, we got to be listening for his word. We've got to be fluent in what it looks like to feel his presence. We've got to be willing to go in the chaos. We've got to celebrate his peace. We've got to resist the apple. This is an old story. Joshua chapter one, verse eight says, do not let this book of the law depart from your mouth. Meditate on it day and night so you can be careful to do everything written in it, then you'll find yourself prosperous and successful. That word we translate into the word meditate, meditate on this day and night, comes from the Hebrew word Hagah. Hagah is an onomatopoeia, if you all remember high school English class. Onomatopoeias are words that sound like what they are. So in English, we have onomatopoeias like pop and hiss and boom. The word Hagah literally means the sound a lion makes as he consumes his prey. So I'm gonna count to three and I want you to say Hagah and I wanna make it sound like you're eating something, okay? Here we go, one, two, three. Do not let this book of the law depart from your mouth, but consume it like a lion would his prey so that you can be careful to do everything written in it. Then you'll find yourself here and you'll stand strong here and you'll experience God's presence here and the world doesn't know what to do with shalom. They only know what to do with people who react to their circumstances out of flesh, with fear and anger and despair and hopelessness. When we have shalom in the midst of hard stories, we have to be ready to give a reason for the hope that we have because nobody knows what to do with it. It's the loudest testimony and billboard we have of God's peace for us. And you're gonna enter in starting next week. Phil's gonna start a series called Lamplight and he's gonna be talking about that word and how it's a lamp into our feet. Psalm 118, the psalmist wrote, God's word is a lamp into our feet. And I, I, my husband likes flashlights. I don't know if anybody in here likes flashlights. When I think about God's word being a lamp into my feet, he has this one flashlight that has like a 40 foot beam. It's amazing. And when I think, okay, God, I'm all about this thing, but I'd like, a, I'd like a 40 foot view of what's gonna happen down the road. Like, as long as I know what's happening, I'll be okay. I brought with me a replica of an early Hebrew oil lamp. This is what the psalmist would have been using when he said the word is a lamp into my feet. They put olive oil right here and they light this thing. This gives off the light of like a birthday candle. So when he wrote, the word is a lamp into my feet, he, he meant like, I'm gonna have enough light to understand what the very next step is. I'm, I'm not gonna be able to see 40 feet down the road, but if I hold on to this, it's all that I need. This is how we survive entering into waters. This is what makes us not have to be afraid about the chaos. We have built our family through adoption, so I'll finish with this story with you all today. Uh, we, a number of years ago, we adopted a 12-year-old boy. And during the course of his adoption, we had about a year and a half where the government where he was living allowed my husband and I to talk to him on Skype at the time a couple of times a week to build relationship and begin attachment. Halfway through that 18 months, he had a really hard day because he had been moved from an adolescent dorm into a teenage boy's dorm. And he was losing hope that this adoption that we'd been talking about was ever going to happen. And so I didn't wanna hang up with him that night. And I said, listen, buddy, here's... Here's what I do when I don't like my circumstances. I remind myself of the things I know for sure are true. What do you know for sure is true? And he's like, I don't know anything for sure is true. I said, okay, here's what I know for sure is true. You're my son and I'm coming for you. And God has a plan and we can trust it. 
And he said those words back to me. I'm not sure that first time how much they meant to him, but that became the way that we signed off every call. We remembered together what we knew was true. One day he practiced it in English and I made a little video of it. I brought you to see it. I am your son. You are coming for me. God has a plan. We can trust him. <laughs> Nine months after that, we were, it was time for us to go to the courthouse and he had a new ticket in his new name and he was so excited and we had our family there and he understood exactly what was going to happen. He was being adopted into our family at that day permanently. And we skipped into the courthouse and as soon as he walked through the doors, he got very triggered because the last time he had walked into that space, a family fell apart. They didn't come together and nobody had ever helped him process those emotions. But we just kind of ignored the fact that he was checking out and the court proceedings continued and attorneys talked and social workers talked and psychologists talked and my husband and I talked. But the way the law is written in his country, if you're over the age of 12 and you're gonna be repatriated to another country, you have to testify in your own voice, it's your will. And he knew that and had been practicing it, but when the judge addressed him and said, is this what you'd like? You'd like to go permanently into that country and be forever a part of this family. He couldn't talk. He, he was so emotionally triggered. He couldn't talk. And I'm rubbing his back and my husband's like elbowing his ribs and nothing is working. And I start negotiating with the judge. What are my options? Can he write it down? Can he go in your chambers? Can he, can he, can we get some of these people out of here? And the judge said, I'm very sympathetic, but this is the way the law is written. And we sat there for what felt like an impossible amount of time. And then Tyler looked up and looked at the judge. Finally, after five, 10 minutes, and he said, I'm their son and they came for me and God has a plan and I'm gonna trust it. And I told him later that night, that is exactly why we put truth in our hearts because we, it, it's gotta be there when we most need it. And later that fall, when he came back here to Cincinnati to live with us, it was time for me to unfold the basics of the gospel. And I said, buddy, you already know it. God had a son and that son came for you and he has a plan and you can trust it. And regardless of what the water looks like for you today, whether it's under your roof or in your city or in our country or around the world, God has given us truth that we can consume like a lion would its prey. And it can be right down here so it's ready for us when we need it. God bless. Amen. Thanks for listening. You can stay connected throughout the week by following Montgomery Community Church on Facebook and Instagram. For more information about MCC, visit our website at mcc.church.